0: I am Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida.
2: And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 7th, episode 2113. This episode is brought to you by the American Driving Society. Good morning, horse world.
0: Welcome, everybody. It is the first Thursday of the month, which means it's time for the driving episode with Dr. Wendy Ying, and uh, we are going to talk a lot about driving. We have a lot of guest book today. What do we have coming up?
2: Well, today we have Kent Brownridge explaining the physics of modern carriage driving. Katie Cadwell shares her knowledge of driving bits. And I talk about horse behavior. Plus, on Carriages 101, Kathleen Hake covers covers ring jousting sleighs. And Barry Dickinson's back with bells on.
0: Something new today, bring uh, jousting sleighs, something you and I have never heard of before. So nope, never be, heard of. That'll be, and Kathleen knows, seems to know everything there is to know about any vehicle that's <laughs> pulled by a horse. So, I, we, speaking of vehicles pulled by horses, we went over the weekend to a draft horse show that was here at the Florida Horse Park. And it was so cool because they haven't had, Wendy, you're going to be so excited about this. They haven't had a draft horse show here in probably 20 or 30 years. And so I don't know who put it together, but they put three days together. There were a lot of rigs here and a lot of horses. And, matter of fact, Wendy, there were 11, six in hand.
2: Are you kidding me? No.
0: So they had a lot of horses here and they had the singles classes, pairs. They had unicorn hitches. You would have loved that. Um, so they, um, it, they sold it out every day. They ran out of tickets. They ran out of food. They had a ton more people than they expected. So I just was so excited about that because you know that means regular people were coming out. The non-horse yeah. people were coming out. But now draft horses will do that, right? I mean they're gonna attract you know, they're gonna attract people because of the Budweiser or Clydesdales. But they yeah, they sold it out. The stands, they're gonna have to double the stands next year. They were shocked at how many people came out.
2: Well, you know, I didn't realize that Ocala didn't have a draft tour show. I know. It's
0: been a long, long all the time. T- I-,
2: I didn't realize it's been that long, but I mean, all over Facebook, um, I was seeing all these pictures. It looked like everybody I know was th- was at the draft tour show in Ocala.
0: It was, it was incredible. And they also, you know, because the Florida Horse Park's pretty big, they had an endurance ride going on that Jennifer was volunteering with. So she was beside the draft horses with the little Arabs. Uh, so that was oh kind of gosh. funny to see those two in the same place together. But I went over one after uh, Sunday afternoon and got to see Lisa, who hosted our draft horse episode here on Horses in the Morning, and got to meet her for the first time. She's the announcer. And she's great at announcing. She announces at most of the major draft horse shows across the country. But once I saw the Percherons coming in, I thought about you and you winning the Celebrity Drive. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then uh, they had the unicorn hitch come in, which you don't see very often, you know. So that was kind of cool that they did that. But of course, oh, that's always fun. The crowd loves the sixes, right? And I was disappointed, though. You know, I'm kind of prejudiced. I have a bias. You know, I like big black yeah. percherons, not yeah. so much. I don't like Belgians a whole lot. And the Belgians yeah. won the six. So, I, uh, yeah, I know. And it made me want a Percheron again.
2: Well, just every time you think you want a Percheron, just think about how much hay costs per bale in Florida. In
0: Florida. That's why I don't have one, because I can't afford $15 a day to feed them.
2: <laughs> so. $15. Wow, that's good. That's a good price. <laughs> down here in Sarasota, is like costs extra to ship it down here.
0: Yeah, people are shocked when we tell them that for like coastal, which is our... Which is our just basic crap hay. Um, it's yeah. fifteen dollars a bale, you know. So, <clears throat> oh and and our percheron percherons ate about a bale a day.
2: I so, could see that.
0: Yeah, they ate about a bale a day. So when we were making our own hay and it was two dollars a bale, that wasn't bad. But when you're paying that much, you can't afford it. We just couldn't afford it. So yeah, it was fun. We well, they the-
2: should eat. They should eat two percent of their body weight in roughage a day, at least two percent.
0: And you figure they're so if they weigh
2: 2,000 pounds, yeah. that's 40 pounds.
0: Yeah, that's a bale, you know, 40, almost a bale. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, I know it's crazy. And, you know, it, we also met some listeners out there. They recognized our voices and said hi. So, uh, that well, was fun. Good. We had a good time. It was good to see the draft horses again. And now there's a big draft horse pull coming up down here as well. So, and that's mostly Belgians so doing the pulling. You know yeah, what my
2: favorite part of the draft horse pull is? What's that? I love when they're hooking them up and oh, they, they don't get it hooked up in time and <laughs> take, they off. take off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and there you see a lot more of the smaller, stockier Belgian horses there. Yeah. Um, for those. And that's understandable because they're built like little tanks. Yeah. And it's funny watching the ponies there, too, because they'll get halflingers in there and, and do pony ones. and That's kind of fun to watch. And yeah, then at most fun. of these down in Florida, they have mini pulls. So they get two minis and they're pulling these little tiny weight no characters. No way. Yes. That's awful. <laughs> Those little tiny weight that's characters. Me. Poor minis. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get on with the show. We have a lot to do. So what are we starting I- with? If
2: you are into the World Cup driving, the indoor driving, this weekend coming up is the finals. So you can catch it online. You can stream that or uh, at the FEI website. Or if you're in Europe, you can go watch it. Um, but Boyd XL is in the lead. He's a multiple champion. He's a reigning champion right now. Boyd's in the lead. But guess who's in close second? Bram Chardon, one of our favorites. And uh Coast Durand, also one of our favorites here. The drive radio show is in third.
0: Hmm. Wow, that's, so that's great.
2: that's gonna be an exciting it weekend. It is fun to watch
0: that because it's it seems faster when they're indoors, doesn't it?
2: Oh, it seems way faster yeah. indoors. And they just and they have teams that are like just for World Cup. These are just these crazy fast horses that don't don't have to do dressage. They're just like crazy show jumpers.
0: Right. They're they're racehorses, basically.
2: <laughs> Race horses. Yeah. And I have to tell you, you know who I'm cheering for remember we were at Wag and there was the Swiss guy Jerome Voutas with the with the um the, the bay like sport cobs the little ponies yes with yep. the Roche mains he's in fourth and I'm so excited and he uses the same team in the World Cup that he uses out uh in the combined driving cool so that's gonna be exciting so that's and you, you can, can catch find, that. If you, go to,
0: if you look around on the internet, you'll find all kinds of uh, video of it as well. So there's there's it's, videos yeah, being posted. It's
2: everywhere. World Cup driving.
0: You'll find it. You'll find it everywhere, and it is fun to watch. Yeah, all right, are great. we uh, next? We need to talk a little bit about your product of the month.
2: Okay, my product of the month. Uh, to this month on the TCVM segment, we're going to talk about horse behavior and the five elements. So. A lot of times people are interested in behavior, uh, talks because their horses are badly behaved. So one of our products that we have to help you with that is a product called Shen Calmer. So it's an herbal supplement that helps, uh, deal with the, the Shen is like your, your mind, right? And it helps calm your mind. So if you have horses that are anxious or especially ones that are anxious, um, in a new situation, it can help you with that and then make them less reactive. We also use this product in dogs for dogs that have thunderstorm anxiety or they're afraid of fireworks. It's a great product for that. It doesn't sedate them. It just um, it has er- an herbal blend that helps them be less reactive. And when horses are less reactive, they can learn better and faster if they're afraid of what they're doing it's hard for them to to learn properly so if you can get them to like relax and accept the situation um your training is going to go that much smoother and you can find that on dr i have a lot of information about that on the blog too
0: first up today we have kathleen from the carriage association of america talking about something that wendy and i had never heard of <laughs> Well, we have Kathleen back with us. She is with the Carriage Association of America, and she stops by every month. And this month, we're talking about something I didn't even know existed in the carriage world. But before we do that, did you guys hear about Mike Smith in England? No. No. Tell me all about it. Mike Smith has a metal detector. And, you know, we've all seen those guys on the beach, right? They're usually old guys walking down the beach. They're retired, and they're doing the metal detector to find change, right? Yeah. Well, this guy's a metal detector guy, but I think he's a little bit more sophisticated, although his metal detector looks pretty ordinary. And he was out in Pembrokeshire in a field in England, and he found something that will take him home a one a million pounds. So he found the remnants of an ancient chariot dating back to 50 A.D., Oh, wow. my God. Uh, and they th- so they think it's a Celtic chariot. And mm-hmm. what happened was immediately in England, the museum people and the officials come out. And they determined that, yes, in fact, this is an Iron Age artifact. And the whole farm then gets quarantined because it then becomes an archaeological site. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So <laughs> this guy and this farmer, um, now his farm is now quarantined. And he has to share... of it with the landowner, but what I didn't know is in England, when you find something like this, and he found much of the chariot, a lot of the harness, and the guy it belonged to. Because apparently, you're buried with your chariot, your horses, and all the pieces and parts that go with it. So, they found a lot of those things, including the weapons, and the tack, and the whole thing. So, um... They said it's the largest find by just a guy with a metal detector (laughs) probably in history. And uh, he has to share it 50% with the landowner. It's a 50-50 deal. But, yeah, so it was kind of exciting. It it dates back to the years 25 to 75 A.D. Uh, And they said it had to be somebody high-ranking in in the Celtic world because they they they're the only ones that got buried with the whole thing, you know? Um, Right. And he... uh, by law in England, you have to sell artifacts like that to the museum. So the National Museum of Wales said it would buy the treasure from him for a million pounds. That's fantastic. Isn't that cool? It's amazing that there's stuff like that that still can be found by an everyday person.
3: Yes, and it seems to happen more over there than any... I I mean, obviously there's things that we find here in the United States, but we just don't seem to have those type
0: of... um, We don't have 2,000 years of... 5,000 years of history either, you know? Well, we
3: do. It's just we didn't history. have the wheel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> different. The, the lack of a wheel.
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't find chariots over here too much. Uh, but yeah, that's my story. All right, what are you going to talk about, Kathleen?
3: All right, today we are talking about jousting sleighs. What? And before you get too excited, it's not full contact. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I could just picture them sitting in the sleigh, going <laughs> along <they're> um, <laughs> their armor.
3: <laughs> yes. So. It, when you talk about jousting, there's a, there's several different progressions within jousting. You start out and you hit the quatain. Um, and actually, if you've ever watched A Knight's Tale, with, uh, you may have learned this already. But uh, you start out with hitting a quatain, which is a little board, and you move things around. And then you also try to um, pick up rings and things like that. And it helps with your um, control, is essentially. But this is... For the ladies in, in many cases, uh, as I understand it, there were both matching slays or or similar slays made for the husband and the wife. And they went out there, particularly the ladies, and they could ju- uh, ring joust. So they were looking to put the lance through a small ring. Um, and when we say small, we're talking maybe two inches or so. Uh, so it took some skill. That's so tiny.
2: To it gel- is and hit that target that small.
3: Yes. And so, if you've ever ridden on a carousel, um, back in the particularly back in the day, they had that brass ring. Mm-hmm. You remember the brass ring? Yeah, yeah. That's why. That's where that oh. comes from. Oh, I didn't so, know that. So. Way back in the day, like 1650, um, Carousel was an equestrian game of skill in which the contestant tried to spear a small ring suspended at eye level. Um, And so this is where we get, and this is something, uh, the word carousel really changes depending on where you are at in the world. Um, So in different places, knights used it as a different game where they were actually throwing like a small ball at each other and, and different things. So there are different, uses of it this happens to be one use of the word carousel um, but these work you when you hear the term carousel sleigh it's a very ornate sleigh if you happen to be able to see the picture you'll see that these are works of art <laughs> um, and they often often uh, reflect fantasy figures uh, the, the one is a unicorn um, the other one is a uh, some type of a swan or, or something protecting young chicks, and then there's a uh, golden lady at the end. Uh, but they they typically are very fantastic. There's a lot of dragons, unicorns, well, um,
0: that, that type that of thing. That makes sense. Why on carousels the sleighs are always very ornate.
3: Yes, yes. Hmm. And so this actually, as so, the picture that I am sharing with you is from Court, which is a um, Coburg, sorry, which is a castle in Germany. And this typically happened in that type of an area. And I do have to give a shout out to Steve Hemphill with um, a play who they do jousting in Texas. But he is the one that told me about this because I had never heard of this before. <laughs> oh, yes,
0: and I was so excited to find it. Uh, How much fun would this be? And then, you know what? Oh, when the husband yes. and wife need a divorce, they could just go at each other.
3: Yes. And I <laughs> the thing. they were not driving and that's an important piece of this if you decide to to participate uh, somebody else drives Uh. in this case uh, you can just barely see it in the photo behind the shell type seat that the 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 person would be sitting in there's a a little seat very little seat that the uh, driver would have sat on and so you would not be handling your reins and your lance at the same time. It
2: almost looks like the driver's kind of standing up, like in a Troika, you know? like Oh, kind yes.
3: Of- uh, and and sometimes they have little boots there, uh, yeah. so to keep their feet warm, and they also act as brakes. It depends on what era you're looking at. Mm-hmm. The ones in um, Veste korberg is... From about 1650 to the mid 1700s, mm-hmm. there are some other ones which I was so excited to find uh, in a Baroque palace that are from the mid 18th century, as I understand it, and it, they are—you um, can see the, see the seats better.
2: Yeah, because these kind of look like it's a, like a motorcycle seat. They kind of straddle it.
0: Yes, it looks like. Yes. Uh, all I can picture I, I is the reins coming around my neck as I'm the one sitting in the jousting. I know. Jousting. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I can picture.
3: And is it, was it with a single? I don't see the shafts. typically here. with a single, sometimes with a pair. I don't think they did the jousting with a pair.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: I can see how that would get really confusing. Yeah. Uh, but typically speaking, you're talking either a single or a pair. Um, in, they did this with children's sleighs too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Prince Ludwig Frederick the second, uh, which is right in that mid 1700s area. He was given a sleigh for Christmas and used to go for rides with it and with his dog. Um, Um. and it's pretty well documented. (laughs) Um, which you can just imagine as a young boy going out there and, and jou- oh, doing ring jousts in the winter. I know. Yeah. I want to do it right now. I'm an old so, lady.
0: You'll have to move someplace it's, a little colder, Wendy.
3: Yes. <laughs> so if you decide that you're going to do this, I do have some tips. So we often see the some type of a ring grab or something in trail challenges, and you can use something like that. You need to make sure that it, it pops pretty easily, um, whatever's holding the ring. You can use a much larger ring when you get started. But the biggest thing is whatever you use for a lance, it's very, very important not to dip the tip because you can catapult yourself out
1: <laughs> Oh my so
3: gosh! So if you decide to play, play with something that's safe and make sure you don't dip the, t- the tip. Now, I have done some variation of this <clears throat> Not officially, but, you know, uh, and I used my whip. I used an old whip that we had that, you know, the, the horse had chewed on it and it was a lung, lung, uh, lunging whip. And I just flipped the, the rings like that. Um, but you're really, that's about the length that you're looking for because otherwise it gets a little too heavy for the average person. Um, these can get quite long and, and quite heavy. Uh, so, you know. Do with it what you will, but have fun with it. But having, just make sure that you don't drip your tip.
0: Having worked at the Renaissance Fair for many years in Pennsylvania um, and hung out with the knights, I was not one. Uh, the lances do get heavy, actually, uh, and yeah. they're, because they're so thick. Uh, these look like they're much thinner, more like a spear than a lance uh, that a knight would carry. And, and rightly so, otherwise. Plus, the lances tend to have a lo- the part that goes under your arm and out the back is longer so you, yes so you and it works as, as a here. counterweight
3: <laughs> yeah, right yeah. which is why when i use a lunging whip it works because they have that counterweight in the the handle
0: yeah
3: and the same thing is true on a lance. So you
0: have that counterweight
3: um this which helps
0: cool. i wonder if they did it with carriages too
3: no typically no? they did not um i i so i i play with the medieval games a fair amount and we do do some chariot archery but in general you don't see the art um the jousting from a chariot or a or a, a cart, um, and mainly that's because they were better at making slaves than they were at making carts. Huh. Uh, they they, uh, I don't know quite why. I, I guess is the, the wheel well, the technology, wheels, and the, yeah. they don't have the fifth wheel yet, yeah. really. And so you couldn't turn very well. Uh, so <laughs> it just doesn't work. Which also, if you decide to do this, keep in mind that if you turn your horse. He is pulling, it doesn't turn like a uh, something on wheels. A sleigh has to turn the, he's pushing your weight on that shaft as he turns. So make a nice wide turn. Don't try to make a 90 degree angle.
1: Um,
3: so I saw that on <laughs> Facebook the other day and I, I thought, mm, that poor horse. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, that's uh, something to be aware of and, and, but feel free to have fun with this. Uh, it's something that you can offer, uh, you know, and some type of a trail challenge uh, setup. And they, like I said, they did exist uh, in those mid, up to the mid 1700s. Uh, we know of at least 17 of these sleighs, um, but finding information on them is very hard um, primarily because the German hasn't been translated a lot, uh, and pretty much all of it's in German. Well, we'll but post uh, a
0: picture to that to those sleighs in our show notes for today's episode, <laughs> so you'll find them there. So, this is very cool, and so of course, have, you can find more one more resources. thing for you. Yeah. If anybody
3: has information on these that's more extensive, feel free to email me. <laughs> okay, my email is Kathleen K A T H L E E N at caaonline.com because I would love to know more.
0: Me too. It is caaonline.com is the website. And you guys, we're just down. Wendy, you guys were all hanging out for the Carriage Association conference down in Sarasota.
2: Oh, yeah. They had a great conference down here in Sarasota. You know, we are the circus city. And so they came down. I think Barry talked about circus wagons and they had... Um, tons of speakers down there and you guys went to the Ringling Museum, right, we
3: Kathleen? We did. We had a blast there. Yeah, that was Isn't fun. that a cool place? It is. We didn't really know what to expect, but they had such a great time walking walking the tightrope and uh, balancing on the <laughs> carousel horse. Oh my gosh. So much fun. And yeah, uh great. they we had some really great speakers and uh we were very uh lucky to have um Desiree Herman do some presentations for us with the horse exhibits. And um, then uh, Carl Casper came in and talked about his carriage collection that he's had. He has over 54 years of collecting. And he has everything from very elaborate stage co- state coaches to stage coaches, um, which are two very different things. And And uh, he has some bromes that are just beautiful. Uh, and uh, it was very very uh, lucky to have him share that with us and Glenn you would have uh, loved it because he started out as a car
2: guy well he still is a car guy he is but he um he made the general lee from the dukes of hazard and the batman the
3: batmobile
0: oh wow
2: yeah I, so he does I, I tell it him he made my childhood <laughs> yeah
3: exactly <laughs> very super cool, cool. yeah they uh he also talked about how to preserve things correctly and then it, if you're doing a restoration, it doesn't necessarily mean taking everything and putting new parts on it, that you can c- should conserve what you possibly can conserve um, on a vehicle, as long as it's in working condition or um, however you need it to be, then that's something that's important. So, um, so that's uh, something to uh, keep in mind as you do a restoration.
0: All right, very good. We've run out of time. Thank you, Kathleen, for joining us again. We really appreciate it. Thank you. CAAonline.com. Well, of course, we are sponsored by the American Driving Society, which is the driving society for the United States. If you go to AmericanDrivingSociety.org, you're going to find tons of information there about all the different events that are happening in the United States. You definitely want to look at a membership. I think the whip just came out again, right? Uh,
2: oh, yeah. The February whip is out and it has uh, Boots Ride is on the cover with her beautiful pair of ponies that she won the Intermediate Pony Pair Championship. Uh, And it has a lot of information, uh, you know, valuable educational information plus uh, info on results and also lists the officials and uh, how to get in touch with your local chapters and what local chapters are doing all over the United States.
0: Very good. And, of course, you can find American Driving Society at americandrivingsociety.org. Get your memberships in right now for the year, and you'll also get your copies of The Whip as the year goes on.
2: All right. So we have everybody's favorite carriage historian, Barry Dickinson, back with us. Barry, I'm so happy you're back.
4: Well, it's good to be back.
2: Now, Barry, it's winter time, and... We all know about that jingle, jingle, jingle that everybody hears, the sleigh bells, but we don't always know the history of that. So you're going to tell us a little bit about why people actually use sleigh bells in the past and how uh, how can you tell a good bell from a bad bell?
4: Yes, I have some of both. You do um, have bad
2: bells? I can't believe that. Barry Dickinson has bad slave. Well
4: bells. sometimes you buy a group of bells and you and, and you get one and you go, Why I have one bell that should sound beautifully, but it does not. And I don't know cannot see the crack with my eye. So maybe if it was under something there would be a crack there that would stop it from sounding well.
2: Why do people use bells in the past?
4: For two reasons. One was for safety and one was for communication. But so, safety was your, your safety was okay. your big thing, and um, because it, well they weren't always used in on snow. They were also used in cities, and they were used out on the, uh, like in Hungary on the sandy plains. They were used out there in the summertime. um't
2: only think about them with sleighs, but people that drove carriages like that before we had stop signs and stoplights, people would use them would use them as a. You're, when you're talking safety, you mean, mean so that you knew another carriage was coming, right?
4: Well, yes. And if you didn't hear it, the horses would hear it long before you did. Mm-hmm. So they would be able to avoid that carriage and not get run into, you see? Yeah. So that's where the that's where the safety comes in. You know, when you're up north in the winter time, or anywhere and you're all wrapped up in furs and things like that, I guess the bitter cold. You know, you, you you really can't hear a lot of those bells
1: That's because
4: true. you're all you're all muffled up. So it's the horse that hears the bells coming at them, and so that they have to avoid that. You see, like on the plains out in in Hungary, or even driving, say, in Aiken or Camden, or even in Florida, when you go out there trotting across the sand, there's no noise made, no noise at all. Um, of the rattling. So, you know, you can surprise somebody, uh, especially today, you surprise riders if you're in any kind of a forest preserve or anything that's rather dense growth. And, and uh, all of a sudden, you come around the corner and they didn't hear you, and all of a sudden, there, boom, you've got a, a horse rearing, throwing the rider on the ground and the horse taking off, and then you have to somehow get this rider where it needs to be, okay. uh, which delays your day, you know, and delays your day. And um, so... Uh, you know, in places like that, just a bell just just to let the other horses know that uh, you are about and uh, gives them a heads up as maybe they want to turn around and go the other direction.
2: That's true. Or like, what if it's hunting season and you're riding in the woods?
4: Oh, yes, yes, yes. I always have bells on in the hunting season because if it's brown, it moves, it's got to be shot. Um, yes, you, but you have the bells on, so it either scares the deer away and, um, at least you let the hunter know that that you you you're not a dinner that's on the hoof. You know that's true. But you're communicating in the dark that there's I'm over here and you're over there. Oh yeah, that's that makes. sense. Yeah, now people don't people don't understand that because they they they're in a world of streetlights and cars and lead lights and everything else. But if they would just go to town on some dark night where yeah. there's no moon, it's very black. And turn the lights off in their car and drive into town and drive home. Then they would know what the um, people in the winter faced in in winter climates. I don't yeah, think they you... survived, but it would it would be something <laughs> that they could try.
2: It's it's like dark at four o'clock in the afternoon.
4: <laughs> yes, and it's, and in a blizzard, it's totally black, so you cannot see anything. Yeah. You see, you see, and you, then you hear. It's all about hearing. You see. And that's why all the bells bells don't sound the same. Every bell is different, you see.
2: Where would people get bells back in the day? Like, were they expensive? Would only rich people have bells, or could everybody get? No, bells?
4: And there was a, no. They weren't expensive. The law says in Quebec, for instance, that every sleigh or winter conveyance must have six bells. So those are the rules. Those are our our state, our state, sta- our provincial statutes, and also in, in the states of May- of New England are the same. So um, you see a lot of the saddle chimes on the back for the back pads that have three bells there or the shaft bells have three bells on each one. So there's your six. I mean, sometimes they have more, but you always have three um, so that you you have your six bells. I can remember reading something in the old Huntington Gleaner from uh, Huntington, Quebec, about the kids were racing the sleighs up and down the street. And they'd taken the bells off so the people walking across the street couldn't hear these horses coming and were being knocked down by these kids uh racing up and down the street.
2: Oh my gosh. So there were bratty kids so, even back then.
4: Oh yes, 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 yes. Board stiff in the winter time having a bit of fun. Um <laughs> and so that's uh, that was a, a thing that they had done and of course it was reported in the newspaper and and, and things like that. Because, you know, when you're all wrapped up and it's cold, like it was last week up north, and they all talk about, oh, it's minus 10, it's minus. How, the coldest I ever rode a horse was minus 38, so oh Fahrenheit. God. So, you know, when you're all wrapped up, you know, you don't hear anything, you yeah. know, because you've got, you know, earmuffs plus have scarves and toques and, and everything and hoods and everything else. So you don't hear anything.
2: Like, say we're shopping for bells, how can you tell a good bell from a bad bell?
4: The the ring of it. A good bell will carry sound. A, a, a bad bell goes clunk, and that's where the ring stops. Just right there. You hit it, duh, and that's it. And then if you have a good bell and you hit it, it'll it'll just resonate and keep ringing. And then okay. you know you got a good bell. Ring a good ring bell us metal. Oh, go ahead. Well, when you hit well, hit a bell with a you, know, you pick up a bell, and then you have something metal, and um, you hit it. And it rings; it's a good bell. But if you go hit it and it goes, mm, then it's not a good bell. All right. And a lot of the bells made today made today are not made of bell metal; they're cheap, cheap, cheap metal. You see, so they but don't have a good thin, ring. They're
2: them. thin metal.
4: Well, it can be thin, but it can be good metal. I've got bells that are very thin, and they um, now here's some here that are, that are much thinner than other ones I have. I'll ring them. But you see, that thinness puts them higher up on the sound. But here's some here's some that are a little larger, a little thicker.
2: Is that a string of bells?
4: No, that's just four open-faced bells called oh. team bells. They're Canadian. But but listen to them. This bell has a lovely. They, they said, "Just listen to how long they ring."
0: Oh yeah, I you see. can really tell. Yeah. Yes, and those are very good
4: bells. And and when they're really cold, like last week up up north, um, they would be fabulous because the frost would get in the bells and they would be really the metal would be really hard and uh, they'd be fabulous. The bell oh. sounds totally different. Than, in wet warm weather than it doesn't cold, oh really yes,
2: because oh, yeah. the metal when the metal's cold it sounds different
4: oh it sounds much much better, and these are what you would have on a heavier vehicle you wouldn't have these like on a little Albany cutter or Portland cutter these would be more like on a big Victoria sleigh or a, a booby hat in Boston or a Lando sleigh or something something that's that's much uh, a nice. Big thing. I always thought these were for a dowager empress to be coming down the street. And these really tell the peons to get out of the way. I'll ring them now. I need
2: these. I need these.
0: Good Lord.
1: Oh, very <laughs> oh, It's like
0: a truck hole.
2: I need those. Yes. Like yeah, those road. are
4: fabulous. <laughs> but you see, there, there's your communication to get out of the way because they, you would hear those bells. Coming. Yeah,
0: and you'd know something big was coming. You better get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Now, I
4: have little pinkly bells.
0: Oh, that, that's my little hackney pony right there. That's what that is. Yes, yeah. these,
4: these are little Canadian open face bells, <laughs> and, and that's got nice. Those are very nice little bells, yeah. Oh, and here's some are. from from uh, here's some from Sweden.
2: Yep. Barry, we have to wrap, but thank you so much for sharing all your bell knowledge and all these cool bells, your bell collection, with us. This has been great.
4: I yeah. only got two half them here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, we'll have to do
1: bells. So anyway,
4: <laughs> Yeah. A dingling test. Okay, well, you're most welcome. Thank you,
0: Barry. And now it's time for Dr. Wendy Ying's traditional Chinese veterinary medicine segment. And today, we're talking about horse behavior.
2: That's right. I, um, like we talked about was just that I was at the CAA conference, the Carriage Association of America conference here in Sarasota. And I gave my five elements talk, the five elements and the personalities. And that is always a popular talk for horse people. And Glenn, I want to uh, remind, I want to, I want to tell you that. In the talk, I even put in my first slide about the Horse Radio Network because you're so mad at me that I forget.
0: To. <laughs> okay, so you go to a conference of the Carriage Association of America and you mention us, but you get on NBC and you don't.
2: I forgot. I got nervous. I didn't have my slides.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. but I, anyways, I put it in there. So thank now it's you, in there you. for sure. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah.
2: But um, so this talk. Is, you know, it goes over the five elements. And we've talked about that a lot. But basically, what people need to realize about the five elements is this is stuff you use all the time, anyways. This is how we as horse people deal with our animals and deal with other people and deal with our dogs. It's just this five element theory is a way that the Chinese have categorized it into five little segments so that it's easier to understand and it's easier for us to make a plan on how we're going to use that information. So, it's kind of like a master blueprint for the interactions of our bodies with the environment we live in and other individuals that we deal with. So, uh, like I always say, I'm a fire. Fires are really outgoing and Glenn's a fire. And
0: we, we actually shouldn't Our, get along, you and I.
2: No, no, you can get along. But sometimes we go, like, we burn too hot, right? We just fuel each other. That's true. And that's why we need, like, <laughs> Kyle, who's a water, <laughs> who cools the fire so we're not, like, crazy. And the metal also controls the fire. Like, the fire makes the metal kind of come out of their shell and be more outgoing, but they're like, you know, the metal, she'll start to get aggravated with us after a while. She'll either leave us or she'll tell us to like, stop talking. So that's how the elements go together. But you would like, we already know that, but the elements just help us explain that. Right. Right. So your different elements have uh, associated with different personalities. So like I said, the fire is the diva. Right. And I guess to imagine it, I have this chart, right? Just imagine a ring, and we're going to go clockwise around the circle of the elements. Okay, so fire is at the top, and fire is the diva. Like fire has the energy, right? They shine, and you can tell if your horse is a fire by they're the first ones to the gate. So how the horses interact in the herd is a good way for you to tell which horse your your uh, which element your horse is. So the next one. Going clockwise is the earth, and they're like the rock. They're patient and nurturing and they're very food motivated. And the next one in the ring is a metal. Um, those are the great schoolmasters. They love rules and they don't like change, but they're really fun once they're trained because they know the rules. So even if you have no idea how to ride, they're like, okay, look, I'm not cantering until you ask me properly. Uh, Then the water, they're the organizer, they're intelligent and determined. They have strong willpower and they have great endurance, but um, they, in, in humans that are waters are very good planners and they see like way ahead. They're good chess players. They're good politicians, but, uh, in, animals, they can't really control their situation the way humans do. So water horses and dogs tend to be a little bit fearful. They're the kind of horse that, uh, when they get scared of something, they check out and they kind of, they can check out and bolt. That would definitely be a water horse. And they are usually the lowest ranking in the herd. And they also, um, have a long memory. So say you took them out on trash day and they got scared of the trash can like they're gonna be like oh my god every time i go over there that trash can something's gonna jump out of the trash can so those are the ones that take a lot of training and then the wood is the we call the wood the general and they're strong and athletic they're usually the dominant herd leader they're usually bossy like just think about this bossy mare the alpha mare in the herd um and so those are the five elements. Just a quick, uh, a quick overview of the five elements. So when you're training your horse, you need to think about the interactions, right? So if you go clockwise around this ring, and I have this this um I have this chart up on my website, so you can see that at drwendyying.com. So if you go around the circle like the the mommy element supports the child so the like the fire supports the earth going clockwise around the circle in chinese culture the grandparents are not the nice ones they're the disciplinarians so the grandparent is the controller of the of the other element right so so like the fire can control the metal by not letting the metal get so metal. They can like, you know, encourage them to be a little bit more outgoing. Whereas the water is, like I said before, the grandparent of the fire and they can cool the energy of the fire down. So you think, Oh my God, this is confusing, but it's not really confusing because you're really doing this all the time. Right? So Glenn, your pony, what do you think scooter is?
0: Didn't we determine he was a fire or not? I thought we Scooter.
2: did. I, I thought we determined Scooter was an earth. And you have to remember, like, uh, people are all, they're all these elements together. You have right. one dominant. Right. But even if he's a fire.
0: Okay, so he's
2: a fire. So when you go, when you guys go out, like, you always warn me, there may be some bolting going on.
0: <laughs> Which is getting better the older he gets, I might add. It is. Yeah, definitely getting better.
2: But when you go out and driving him, right, you can't be like your fire, your fire self. You can't. You have to be paying attention.
0: Which is why I have why I have to focus so much when I'm out with him. Be- yeah, because of that.
2: And Jennifer, who's the metal, actually is probably pretty good at you know the way she trains is like she has a specific way of doing things, and it doesn't ever change, right? And and she has a thought process. She doesn't say, Oh, it's trash day. Let's go out for a drive. <laughs> she just wouldn't do that. Um so and what about her horse? What do you think, Nigel is?
0: I don't know.
2: Is who's the boss in that group? Is Scooter the oh, boss? Oh, Scooter's
0: the boss, yes
2: scooter's the boss oh for
0: sure and when, well, you saw him at your house when uh, there was a threat uh, nigel ran behind scooter
2: yeah so i think nigel's a water horse he's a little that bit nervous
0: yes that would definitely make sense yep
2: and 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 i think it's interesting because jennifer's horse before him was what was that horse's name uh, beaker.
1: beaker
2: yeah beaker was an earth Right? Mm-hmm. Beaker was like totally laid back. You could do anything with him. He was like so fun. I love Beaker. I was like, why are you selling beaker? Because I'm a fire, right? Mm-hmm. Fires love the earth. They're so easygoing. Like they're so fun. And you know, they don't give you they don't give you any trouble. But for Jennifer, that was boring. Right? He she, that, to her that wasn't a challenge. She likes the challenge of the water. Because the metal supports the water. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yep. So to me and you, oh, my God, we don't want a water horse. That would be scary right. and really hard. <laughs> <Yeah. That's> right. <laughs> right? Because waters need, I always say the water is the millennial. They need, like, you know, you need to be very gentle. You need positive reinforcement. But for us as fires, thats we have to really concentrate to bring out the metal side in us. And then another thing is, because uh, it's maybe looking at it from the point of us being waters, I mean, for us being fires, the wood, like I said, the, is the general, right? So the wood is our mother element, okay? And the wood is athletic and competitive, like they, but they can get angry and irritable when they are out of balance, So if we were the trainers of a wood horse, they would test us all the time. You know, they like to fight. They wake up in the morning and they're like, okay, you may be the boss of me, but I'm going to do everything I can today to be the boss of you. And that's hard for us as fires, right? As a fire trainer. So if you're a fire person and you're going to train a wood, you have to know that. So don't get like don't get lured into the fighting. Because they're gonna the wood is the mother element of fire. They're gonna push us. They're like, come on, we need to be world champions and blah blah blah. We're not just gonna go to the parade and go for a picnic. <laughs> but, but we as fires is like, oh yeah, I mean I wanna have wear a giant hat and wave to my friends, but I don't necessarily have to win.
0: Right. We want to go you to the parade know, and have a picnic. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we if there's a ribbon, great. Yeah. But but the fire horse are like, oh, we are training and we are gonna win. You know, but you, so to to train a, a fire, you need to bring out your water side that's a little bit calmer and you need to don't like with woods, I tend to not use much punishment. I just ignore them. You know, because they want your attention and they want to go but they you don't want to get into an argument with a wood and and if you do you better plan to win it you know and i think we've all had horses like that
0: yep and if you just don't ask win Jen, it one time you're not going to win it the second <laughs> it's like,
2: if you, yeah if that horse does not want to go down the road yes do not take it back to the barn because you'll never get out of the barn again so these are all things that you're doing all the time that you think about all the time it's just these are ways to categorize it Also, the biggest question I get after I give this talk is, well, I feel like I'm many elements. So you are many elements and your horse is many elements. It does change over time. And uh, one of the things you need to think about is, you know, look at the chart and determine what you think your dominant element is. And if you don't know, just ask your friend, because sometimes we're too close to see what our own element is. Then you determine your horse's element. And like I said, you can do that by trying to figure out where they are in the pecking order of their own herd. And then use the five elements, use that chart to develop a training plan that best suits your relationship and that best suits their personality. The takeaway from here is that training is a journey with your horse and there can be ups and downs, but you should enjoy the journey of getting there. It's not just all about um, the end goal. But it is actually the fun part of training for me, at least, is is figuring out along the way. So be flexible and enjoy your journey. Well, our next guest is my fellow single driver, Kent Brownridge. And Kent, besides being a single driver, has a very exciting life outside of carriage driving for 35 years he was in magazine publishing and he published such magazines as Rolling Stone us and uh family life Max, uh, Maxim. Max yep yeah, can not forget Maxim Yeah and Ken also was good friends with my dad because they were both in publishing so he's known my dad he knew my dad for many many years and then he uh was an economics person from Pomona College economics major and he is self-taught in physics, mechanics, and metallurgy. So that's what he does with his spare time. Uh and he developed a super cool carriage driving for modern day combined driving that involves the physics of what we're dealing with at the high speed of um care of combined driving today. So welcome Kent to the Drive Radio Show.
5: Well it's it's great to be here and and Indeed, you, your father, Wendy, actually changed publishing. He came up with um, he, he sort of he came up with computer driven typesetting, which right. which completely changed everything in magazines and everything in newspapers. So yes, yeah, so you didn't um, have to
2: you didn't have to put all those it. little pieces of things uh, pieces of type together by no. hand.
5: <laughs> no. Nope.
2: Um, But Ken, I'm so glad that you're here today because I think one of the biggest challenges of people learning about combined driving is um, there's so much physics involved and the questions that the course designers ask, ask also involve the physics of carriage driving. And you you know, it is a time sport. You have to go as fast as possible, but you need to do it safely. So if you don't understand the physics and how the carriage moves, it's very difficult to drive a fast, clean marathon. So why don't we start uh, talking about that? How do, you, What do we need to deal with when we're driving on marathon or driving at these high speeds? You
5: know, I... It, First of all, I think that, you know. Let's get rid of the word physics because that scares half the people. They didn't like <laughs> physics when they were in high school or something, and they think, "Ooh, you know, I don't know anything about that. I don't want to get into that area." And what I think the the basic things you you need to think about is are three. You uh, the average marathon is eighteen kilometers long, which mm-hmm. is you know a fairly considerable distance right and, and um the, the more weight that you pull over 18 kilometers the more work that the horse has to do mm-hmm. i mean it's just like it, it's a i don't want to use the word physics but it's just a simple fact of life like, right. for instance if i if you were going to pull two horses down from connecticut where i live to florida it would take so much gas, and if you put if you loaded five horses into your trailer, it would take much more gas. Right. It just takes more more energy to pull more weight. So the first thing you have to think about is the weight. It, mm-hmm. You know, the lighter the carriage, the better off the horse is going to be. The second thing is you don't want to turn over. And right. The, the things that allow you to turn over are uh, well, there's lots of things, but the main thing is. The lower the carriage is, the less likely it is to turn over. And there's even a word for that, and it's called having a low center of gravity.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
5: don't know if you remember back a few years when SUVs first became popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is back in the 1990s. They, a lot of them turned over.
2: Oh and
1: yeah, that's built, true.
5: They were built. They were built high off the ground. The car manufacturers were still using old. Uh, regular automobile frames and suspension Mm -hmm. systems, but the people sat up higher. There was more weight up high and they went into a corner and they turned over.
1: Mm -hmm. Same thing with
5: carriages. The more, the the higher the center of gravity is, the more it's going to turn over when you're, when you're doing a, a, a sharp corner. And as you just said a minute ago, people are going faster and faster. In fact, a lot faster. Right. I mean, the speeds now are, are just you know frightening, mm-hmm. so th- that has to be kept in in the into the, uh, into what you're thinking about. And the final thing is, look, nobody wants to pay all the money to go somewhere to go to, to go to a show and get there and have their carriage break. So right. they have to be sturdy and durable and able to take occasional smack on a post or or something like that. So put those three things together, and that's what you need to think about. And um, the most and um, and if you can solve those problems, then there's all kinds of additional little things that you can <clears throat> you can do and think about. But I think if you start out with those three things, you're going to end up pretty well.
2: You know, and, uh, um, the there's is- a lot of video online about carriage driving in the old days when they used these antique carriages, and we look at it now and we think. Oh my god, I can't believe that people would do that. But I think that we're evolving to the point where now, like, even the the very first marathon carriages that they used to make, it's like you're saying, they're like SUVs. You thought you wanted to be up so you could see the, the hazards and you could see over your horse, but it was too high and they're top heavy. So, yeah, and
5: like, you know, like a lot of things in automotive engineering, the, um and this has been the lament of, uh, of you know, gearheads and automotive guys mm-hmm. for many, many years, is there's a trade-off between everything. If you have a comfortable ride, then you also have soft suspension. If you That's have true. soft suspension in your car, when the centrifugal force makes your car tilt when you go into a circle. Yeah. If you eliminate that, then the ride's not going to be as, as comfortable. So you have to decide what is it what is in some places you have to decide what's most important
2: okay so ken um what do you have for your suspension of your carriages
5: well what um that's a that's a good one and it brings up one of my favorite lines which is the leaf spring which is on most carriages mm-hmm. was invented by the ancient Egyptian egyptians and it's been <laughs> around since then and um it's it's served you know many vehicles over the last 3000 years very well but it's not exactly a, a new thing right and um what what i have are um what most cars have um and most of what i have the answer is i have what most cars have i have coil springs with a shock absorber down the middle of the coiled spring. The Mm -hmm. coiled spring is about two and three quarters inches in diameter on the outside and about an inch and three quarters on the inside and a shock fits right down on the inside. And this is not my invention. This is what automotive guys have been doing for a long time. And so you get both, you can change out the springs until you get exactly the, the kind of spring force and tension you want. And mm-hmm. then the shock absorbers pre- prevents you from having that bounce when you go Right,
2: because that's you how you roll it, over the, with that bounce.
5: Well, yes, when you're in a corner, yeah. that happens. But when you're just going straight and you look <clears throat> down, at, and I think you and, and Glenn did this one time at Live Oak when you were watching me and announcing, you observed that when I was going across the nice flat grass surface and in, in at live oak that my car co- carriage didn't undulate and bounce like the other one right because those shocks take the bounce completely out mm-hmm. and um so um that works pretty well and um
2: can i ask you something about the spring the this problem spring the problem too? is
5: it's ex- excuse me
2: uh are, for your shocks is are they independent is each wheel has its own shock?
5: Well, you, you know, we're, you're forcing me to get into these technical conversations here with these good questions, Wendy. <laughs> I have, I have straight axles yeah. that go from w- one side to the other,
1: mm-hmm. and then
5: there's um, two sh- two coil springs and shocks on each axle going up to the carriage. You know, roughly yeah. four corners of the carriage. Yeah, and. <clears throat> If you want independent suspension, which is I think what you were alluding to, yeah. you then have to add another factor, which is a stabilizer bar. And every most people have never heard of a stabilizer bar, and um, it was invented in um, first appeared on the Oldsmobile in in nineteen nineteen, and every single car out there today has one. Uh, most people just don't know it. You know, yeah. if, 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 if you get down on the ground and look under your car, you probably wouldn't know if you, when you were looking at it. But it's right. there; it's very visible. I could point to it. Uh, I didn't used to be able to, but I figured out what it was. <laughs> and the stabilizer, when you have independent suspension and you go around a corner, the centrifugal force, which is the same thing that makes your coffee cup slip across your dashboard when you're yeah. you know, splash on the Opposite side of the car, it do, it does the same thing on the carriage body, and it, each one of those independent s- wheels, suspended, you know, the is forced up by the centrifugal force, oh, and it makes the carriage lean. I it makes see. Makes the carriage lean when you're in a turn. A stabilizer bar eliminates ninety percent of that. Yeah. Now, so you say, okay, well, why doesn't everyone have a s- stabilizer bar? Well. They're complicated to install. They add weight. Yeah. They're cantankerous, and they have to get tuned a lot. Yeah. And for that reason, people just don't have
1: them. I and, get it.
5: But this is the, this is the reason why these people with torsion bar suspension, which is really a trailing arm that's independent of what the other wheels are doing, it's yeah. why those are a little more prone to turn over. I see.
2: That makes tons of sense. I never knew why. So where do you think Um, the innovations for the future are going to come from?
5: I think they're going to come from, well, I think they'll come from from automobiles like they have very slowly and gradually Mm -hmm. uh, in the last 20 years. Um, What I think will be motivating them is how intense the competition has become.
2: Yeah,
5: people will now do anything to get an advantage over their competitors, and all the you know kind of the things that we used to bumble and and stumble and you know trip over and, and sort, somehow work through. Those things are all gone. People, yeah. you know, people have solved all the problems of the you saw in those early pictures where right. the, <clears throat> the people were, were sitting. Six and seven feet high, and they turned over. and The wheels were made out of wood, and they hit a post and they disintegrate. Oh. All that's been changed, but now people are looking at ways to go faster. Right? Yeah, because that's what it's really about. And yeah, going faster means you got to be lighter, and you got to be lower to the ground.
1: Yeah, and
5: and then you can also improve your situation with a good suspension system. But lower to the ground is even more important than lighter.
2: Well, I think um, that the first step is to understand what, like like you said, like what the challenges are to let us go faster. And um, so I think we're off to a great start. So thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about these innovations and helping us understand the forces involved in driving fast with our carriages.
5: Okay, well, thank you, Glenn and Wendy. And, uh, you know, I've wanted to be on your shoes for a long time. And so this is a big day for me and I appreciate <laughs> it. And I thank you.
2: Well, thank you for joining us. And I hope you come back and we'll talk more about carriage physics. All right. So Katie Cadwell of Tremont farm is back with us for the monthly Tremont training tip. Katie and her sister, Miranda trained driving horses and ponies at Tremont farm in Southern pines, North Carolina. Welcome, Katie.
6: Hi Wendy. Hi Glenn.
2: Well, we have an exciting uh, topic this month. What are we talking about?
6: We're going to talk about bidding the driving horse, which is a uh, great thing because you think that is the only communication we have with our horse is through our reins.
2: That's true because with in riding, you can use your weight, your body, and but we
6: just have the reins and our voice yes we have no legs no seat no side pressure we have to learn to do everything with our reins which means the bit is very important for a driving horse
2: you know what else I think why it's your bit choice is so important with a driving horse versus riding is just so far away from their mouth I feel like that I feel like I can have good communication but I feel sometimes my bit Feels a lot stronger than when I'm riding.
6: Well, if you think about it, it's also leverage, right? Because we're actually sitting up and bracing against our feet. So if you wanted to get into a, a horrible pulling contest, you would have a lot of leverage on that horse's mouth. So you have to be really careful about the bit that you put in their mouths. Oh, that's true. So how
2: do you start out? Like, what, what do you first start out with if you get, get a new horse and you're trying to do, to pick a bit for him? What, what, where do you start?
6: So I believe that driving horses are, you know, driving bits are for driving horses. There is mm-hmm. a reason that they exist. So I am not against snaffles, and I be, there is always an exception to the rule. But when I start my horses, I would always start in like an archmouth type bit. So the arch mouth really allows a lot of tongue room, especially for those like Welsh ponies tend to have a small mouth and big tongues and Mm -hmm. some other horses do too. So it gives them a lot of tongue room and it's a little bit softer bit to start with and it encourages forward motion. So it's a straight, it's a, it's a
2: solid mouthpiece that has an arch and does it arch like up over the tongue or does it arch forward?
6: It arches upward and I I like my preference always uh, there are a butterfly side which look like a bee or there's Mm -hmm. a liverpool side which is a ring with the slot I tend to like the liverpool side because that's the way the bit was designed to work Mm -hmm. all those bits with liverpool sides and with those slots work on a pull pressure so when you rotate the bit in their mouth it puts pressure on the top of the bridle Mm Hmm. So it makes it the the horses respond very well to that. Also, when you have something on the side of the face, they can steer a little bit off the pressure on the side of their face, not just because you're pulling back on them.
2: so it's kind of like with riding bits when you have when you use the full cheek and you use your act that little full cheek piece, you actually make sure to use the full cheek. <laughs> Holder, right?
6: Exactly. That's exactly right because it causes some rotation. Mm-hmm. So we have the slot so we can add a little bit more rotation. But I would always to start with the arch mouth. Some horses also like a mullen mouth, and the mullen mouth goes forward. The arch goes forward, mm-hmm. which is also a very encouraging bit for a young horse. But you have to watch a little bit with the ones that play with their tongue because the mullen mouth is much easier for them to get their tongue over. And that's not a habit we want any horse to get into.
2: You know, how come uh, we see that so much in driving horses, the tongue over the bit versus riding horses?
6: Did you notice that? Yes, I think it's actually just needing to put the proper bit on the horse because Mm -hmm. it, it can become a habit. Once they learn to do it, they learn to like push the bit off their bars and get their tongue over it. And then it hurts them. Oh yeah, I
2: see. Yeah, I know. Anyone that has their horse get their tongue over the bit knows this is not fun and you can't steer.
6: No, you're you're at their mercy.
2: You are at their mercy. Now also with driving bits, all of our driving bits or for the most part have curb chains. So what do you how do you start out with adjusting your curb chain?
6: So I'm a, I like the big fat curb chains with the bigger links. Mm-hmm. I think they're less less harsh, they're smoother. And a lot of times it isn't necessarily that you really want. You want the action of the bit to increase by using the curb chain, but not necessarily to put tons of pressure under their chin or for that to be a punishment.
1: Mm-hmm. So
6: I like the big link curb chains. and I go with as little curb chain as I can use. So if the horse doesn't need a lot, I'm not going to put it on that strong. And I have to admit, there are a lot of, especially in the ponies, that we have that don't even use a curb chain.
2: Mm-hmm. Or some of them use that little leather curb chain.
6: Yes, leather, or we have um, gel pads we can put on them when they don't like that pressure there. Mm-hmm. There's also another way to get around this pressure is there's a what's called a swivel bit. It has a liver pull side. You can put any mouthpiece you want on it, but it swivels. And what that allows is no pull pressure at all. It only works on the bit. There's no pressure down on the top of the head. And some horses really respond well to that. So the mouthpiece stays still
2: in the mouth and the sides, when you pull on the reins, the sides move.
6: Yes, it moves, it swivels. So Mm -hmm. the, 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 Outside of the bit can rotate, but without pulling down on the horse's head, and it's just like people. Some people like to work out in tight clothes, and some people like to work out in hoodies. Yeah. Some horses don't like the pull pressure.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And so, okay, so you start out with either mullen or an arch mouth, and then what if that's not working for you? What's your next one that you'd like to try?
6: So then you listen to your horse and. Mm-hmm through your reins you communicate with them what does he need it does he need something softer does he need something a little bit more do you feel like you're having trouble stopping or when you half halt you have to say it seven times Mm -hmm. or do you feel like when you pull back he just goes (laughs) so then yeah exactly so if we want to we need say they're they're being a little bit stronger not listening to you yeah maybe try tighten the curb chain a little bit if that's not nothing Uh, And if that's not working, another thing I, I like, like my favorite go-to bit is a mild port with rollers. So what's the difference
2: between a port and the arch mouth?
6: So it's straight on the sides and then a little port, a low port in the middle, and then straight on the other side. And on those straight sides are rollers and they're usually in copper or a mixed metal. So Mm -hmm. it keeps the horse's mouth nice and soft. But it also, because the rollers move, the horse can't grab the bit on you or grab one side of the bit and pull a little bit on you. Right. It tends to sit them off the bit a little bit, but in a super nice way. And what does the port do? It, again, it's just to make the horse comfortable and allows a bit of tongue room. Mm-hmm. And then port. It's just can not be- as wide a port.
2: So, so, it gives them some more space for their tongue if they want to put it up there.
6: And yes, the, it's cu- it, it's just like instead of having the pressure down on the tongue all the time, which a lot of the straight bars have, mm-hmm. it allows it alleviates the pressure on the tongue, which is nice,
2: yeah, I think that's always a big issue in all of our horses, actually, not just driving but riding, too. And for me, I like to check the tongue by looking at the color. Or if it's spasming or not, yes. like just parting the
6: mouth. Yes. Because, because some it, horses will, well, A horse will put is up not happy it. when it. Yes. But you, you, sometimes you see horses hanging their tongue out and they're bluish mm-hmm. because they don't have this blood circulating through them. But like I said, Welsh ponies, the Dutch horses are the same way. Some of them have small mouths. So you yeah. put a bit in there and there's not a lot of room. So you're going to crush the tongue down and then. Your horse is trotting along thinking, oh, my tongue hurts. Instead of paying attention to you asking him to bend. Yeah. And I think that if
2: the, they have too much pressure on their tongue, their tongue actually starts to fall asleep, you know, because the blood gets stuck in there. Like when you're sitting on your foot and then you get up and then it's all tingly and it feels weird and they don't know why it feels like that.
6: It does. And then you lose communication. Right. So if everything mm-hmm. sits dead in the mouth, that's exactly what happens. You just get dead spots. And you pull on the rein and you get no response. Right. So it can happen, that can happen too to the bars of the mouth if, it, if the bit is pushing down too hard on the bars. You need to remember to give your hand that you alleviate that pressure on the bit when you ask them to do something.
2: Mm-hmm. What
6: you take, you must give back. Right. And, um, but then on ahead. the other way, if we want to go softer, right, our, our yeah. horse was overreacting. First thing I would do is take off the curb chain, try without the curb chain, see how they react. Some horses don't like that under their chin. Then Mm -hmm. you can step back to a fatter bit. You can get a composite bit that is fatter in the diameter in the mouth. Mm -hmm. And some horses love having fatter bits. It's a little softer in their mouth. It's nicer, not hard metal. Some horses love that. Yeah. And then some just love a snaffle.
2: So the snaffle would be like, just like a regular riding snaffle. Like it would be broke, broken in the middle. Well, but in driving, actually we use the law, lo- lo- the two brakes, right? The little,
6: I, I would always on a driving horse use the two brakes, because if you think about it, when the one break, when our bit rotates up and down, yeah, that's just going to poke them in the mouth in the roof of their mouth or their yeah. tongue. Yeah. so, because our bits do tend to move around some. So if you use the three breaks, it it makes more like more like a mullen mouth or more like an arch.
2: Right. So like a french link or
6: um, the I love this or yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. They're fantastic. And then what we do is we always run with an extra ring on the outside. So you have two rings on the outside.
2: Okay, so then mean you can an extra ring on the outside,
6: so we put an extra ring. it's it, it's kind of called a Hungarian snaffle. Mm-hmm. So there's two rings on each side. One is a loose ring, yeah, and the other is the the one that goes through the mouthpiece, so it's kind of like between so, the
2: cheeks and the other ring of the snaffle,
6: Yes. So then it first of all, it gives you a little more. Size on the outside, like we were talking about that side pressure, mhm, and then also it gives you a way to play with your bit, right, so you can hook the loose ring to your uh your cheek piece and then put the ring around both rings, yeah. or you can put both rings through the cheekpiece and only one of the rings through the the rain. They're just what- different ways to use it,
2: you know what I never understood like what like if you if you put both rings on the cheek piece, right? And then yeah. you put the rein on the outside ring. That's kind of like a full cheek snaffle, right? A gag.
6: It makes it more like a gag then. Oh, it makes it more like a gag. Okay. Yeah. And then if Whereas you put if it you on- were put it in both and yeah. both, that's more like a full cheek.
2: Okay. So the, if you need more of so a little leverage action. You put it on just one ring.
6: Yes. I see. Oh, I'm It's glad. just making the bit a little softer, a little harder. And then, you know, softer and harder for a bit also is the diameter of the bit. So how fat is your mouthpiece? How skinny is your mouthpiece?
1: Mm-hmm. All
6: that is just listening to your horse and trying to find out what works best for him. Like right. I said, you shouldn't have to half all seven times. So we want to find a bit that works when I ask him twice. And there's another thing about bidding is you can easily overbid a driving horse because like you said about that leverage and if you really need someone else on the ground to watch the horse go and make sure you're getting its maximum stride, because Mm -hmm. if we overbid them, they shorten their stride. And so they may feel good in our hand, but we've lost all our tempo and our freedom of stride.
2: We're like cutting the energy. We're holding it in. Yes.
6: Yes. So we need to, you need to have someone on the ground to say, okay, if that feels good to you, you've lost your, your stride. They're, they're two on the forehand or they're, they're short in their stride. So let's try another bit that gives you the same feeling, but allows more freedom of the stride. It's a very complicated thing, bidding a horse.
2: Mm -hmm. So you should plan, like, if you're going to do this and try to find a good bit for your horse, you should have a wide variety of bits and then you need a person on the ground that can help you and you need to do some trial and
6: error so don't expect it to happen like overnight no that's exactly it and we have an entire wall of bits in our wash stall and when we're trying to bit one that's difficult to bit or we're not sure what they should have that's exactly what we do we go out to the ring we try it okay we need to come back we need to put another mouthpiece on it. Okay. No, they don't like pole pressure. So we go through and try all these things and see what they're the most comfortable with. And then when you find the one you want, you need to give it a few days to see if this is really going to be the bit.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah. Because, because when as it, they're, it as just... they're training, mm-hmm. Keep going. as they're training and growing up, they evolve, that they grow, like say they'll grow grow out of the mullen mouth bit and they'll grow into a uh, mild port. And then maybe they may grow into something with rollers. It depends on what you're asking them, what their education level is and the personality of the horse. Yeah, I think the personality is huge
2: because uh, actually two things came to mind when you said that. You know, you have their baby bits, just like we have in riding. then when you want more communication, you need to, you know, you need more sensitivity. You can go up to different bits, you know, to something that you have more communication and you can do more subtleties with. Like, But I have one horse, Dante, who hates communication. (laughs) He thinks I'm talking too much. He knows his job. And he just wants his like straight baby bit, and he wants to know does he need to go right or left or start a stop. That's all he wants to know. You know.
6: But as long as Dante's going forward and bending and doing what you ask, that's fine. That then he's comfortable with that bit. That's not a problem. It's when he starts to pull the rein away from you or try to graze in the middle of the dressage ring. He doesn't do that. like that. Then you might think you would want a little bit more bit. He doesn't do that. He's perfect. <laughs> the other one. <laughs> he is perfect.
2: Well, Kitty. Well, thank you so much. I think this is really uh, a great way to pe- for people to start off and to make a plan about what bit they're using. Is their bit they're using now good? Then don't worry about it. But if they maybe need to change something, that's a really safe way to go about, a uh, safe and logical way to go about finding a new bit. So thanks for that. Great tip.
6: And my advice is always ask for help. Don't go out and buy a new bit. Find someone in your area that has some bits or someone with knowledge that you can try these bits because you don't want to buy 15 bits to end up with one. You need to try a few to see what's going to work. So ask for help. Driving bits are expensive. So
2: ask for help. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so
6: much. And we can't wait to see you back here next month.
0: And, Katie, where can, okay. we, where can everybody find you?
6: Uh, either on Facebook at Miranda or Katie Cadwell,
0: or we have TremontFarm.com. Thank you for putting together another great show, Wendy. It is Thursday, which means tomorrow's Friday. So really bad ads. Uh, Jamie will be back for some really bad ads tomorrow. Get your ads into Jennifer at com. If you want to see or listen to any of the past driving episodes that Wendy and I have done over the past... I don't know, seven, eight years, you can go to drivingradioshow.com, and it'll have all of them, including all the ones since we started doing it on Horses in the Morning, and all of our past ones as well. You can listen to everything. And uh, if you want to go to morning.com and scroll down in the middle of the page and click on the little driving banner, then it will bring up all the ones that we've done since it started on Horses in the Morning. And you can find Wendy at drwendyying.com. And let's remind everybody that Dr. Wendy also did a show with Purina. And that was called the, the horse nutrition podcast. And you can find that on the horse or any of your podcast players, just to search for horse nutrition podcast. There were seven episodes there that uh, are all about horse nutrition. And she did those with a whole bunch of other doctors from over at Purina. And they were very well done and very interesting on a bunch of different topics. So you, uh, whether it was Gut issues or senior horses or special feeds for special needs, all different kinds of things. You can find that as well. So that's it. Thank you all. We'll talk to you again tomorrow morning. All right, keep the shiny side up.